On episode 307 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn the three-step process to play clutch during big points with Dr. Larry Lauer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey there, I hope you're having a great week and that you're getting to play a lot of tennis and that you're improving your game step-by-step, day-by-day. And today's episode is about the three-step process to play clutch under pressure, which is a tough thing to do and something we all strive for. She reminds me of, uh, fortunately, (laughs) of a doubles match that I had with my partner, Derek. We play in a government league, actually, and uh, we were able to win in a third set tie break. Uh, oddly enough, the tie break was only to seven instead of ten, um, but we managed to pull that one out. And you know, some of the principles that you hear about today uh, helped us get through this one. So, uh, and I'm really excited to present this uh, interview uh, for you that I did a while back because you know it's it's a step by step, three step process framework, which is always really especially helpful for you, you know, something you can easily remember and then put into practice. So, uh, and if you don't know about Dr. Larry Lauer, uh, he is the mental skills specialist for USDA player development. Dr. Lauer earned a PhD in science exercise and sports psychology from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And uh, he was also an assistant coach and mental coach for Michigan State men's tennis, helping the team reach the 2013 NCAA tournament. Um, he was also a sports psychologist consultant for USA Hockey's national team development program. And importantly, uh, as well, Dr. Lauer hosts, uh, co-hosts the Compete Like a Champion podcast with Johnny Parks. So uh, you should definitely check um, their podcast out. But yeah, uh, definitely a, a very helpful discussion. And, um, you know, I was talking with a fellow tennis player uh, two days ago, and they mentioned that they had seen some mental game advice on my Instagram page, actually, which you can check out. Uh, my uh, handle there, I think, is at tennis.files, but something that they put into practice as well that helped. So um, definitely highly underrated. Um, you know, it's the match that I played yesterday. Um, it was very interesting because we played against a college player or, or probably a recent graduate and then um, an older uh, player. And the younger player, he had great strokes, uh, really powerful shots. But, you know, it's very interesting. He would talk negatively to himself uh, almost every time he missed a shot. And he was um, pretty just, I don't know, self not, I don't know, not derogatory, but yeah, just self, super self-critical out loud. And it reminded me as well that there was a stat, I think, that Jeff Salzenstein from Tennis Evolution had mentioned in an earlier interview that I did on the summit where he said a spoken um, word out loud is like 10 times worse 
than one uh, that is told to yourself internally. And then also a negative thought is more powerful um, than a positive thought in terms of uh, remembering it. So just, you know, piling it on. And, um, you know, unfortunately, well, fortunately for us, you know, the player did not perform so well uh, during the big moments and we were able to. But, you know, all that aside to say that uh, I think that this episode is going to be very helpful for you and very pivotal, potentially, if you can put it into practice. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Larry Lauer. Uh, Larry, uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, really excited to talk to you about um, how to perform better in critical moments. Thank you, Mervin. I'm excited to be here. We had a lot of fun last year, I think, and uh, hopefully I can provide some useful advice, practical advice for your listeners again. So, Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you go by Dr. Lauer or Larry? What do you prefer? should ask you that. You can go with Larry, since now we, we know each other this well. Some people have okay. Dr. Lauer, but nah, I'm just joking. Larry's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. Depends thanks. on how you treat me. Oh, no, no. I'll, I'll treat you with <laughs> the utmost respect that you deserve, sir. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, of course. But yeah, I'm, I'm you know excited to, to really um, you know get knowledge from you in this area, because um, as we were speaking about you know off-air, um, I've been getting a lot of feedback from the summit uh, participants on, you know, what they want to learn about. And it's almost like the mental game like dominates. It's just so many players who say, you know, I don't perform well when, when pressure is upon me, you know, they can't seem to win any tie breaks, things like that. So um, I guess what are the top couple concepts that players just want to be thinking about like when they're, you know, maybe they're preparing or visualizing or whatever it is like about these tough moments, because, you know, a lot of us obviously have, um, you know, scar tissue from not performing well um, in these moments, things like that. So what, how should we be, uh, what should our mindset be? Well, I think the mindset should be one of a growth mindset where you're, you're looking at how you're getting better. Cause if you're getting better, then you have a chance to perform under pressure, right? Uh, if you're not improving, it makes it challenging uh, to think that you're going to continue to to perform. So I, I think it's a growth mindset, and you know it, the fact that we hear so much about this side of the game, right? The mental side goes to show just how important it is. I don't know how many times I talk to people about it, and they're like, "This is so important." I'm like, "Okay, so what do you do about it?" Uh, not much, or I don't know what to do which is also a big barrier, right? So that's why we have classes like this. But I, I think first and foremost, um, you want to start to develop a, a awareness about what's going on in those situations. Um, is your game changing? Are you making different decisions? Uh, are you, you know, during the point making different decisions, but also between points, are you changing? Are you going faster? A lot of people tend to rush themselves, especially on their serve. Uh, they tend, because you have more control of the pace, tend to rush themselves, maybe not fully have a game plan. Maybe they didn't fully recover from the last point. You know, your heart's beating out of your chest. This is where you've got to make sure you recover, you slow down, and, and develop a clear game plan. So uh, you, you want to be aware of what's happening, though. I think that's the first step. You know, why is it different? You know, take down some notes. When I play well, when I don't perform well under pressure, 
what's different in in my tennis, how I feel, how I'm thinking, and and certainly um, if you start to get some answers there, then you can get to the solution a lot quicker, right? Uh, versus sort of grabbing at any old thing on the internet or some idea that I might give you. Uh, when you know what it is, then then you have a better shot at at resolving it. And once you have the awareness, I think you have to then develop your mental skill sets. You know, if you're unable to focus for two minutes, you know, on, on something, how is it you think you can go into a match and stay focused for an hour, an hour and a half, right? So developing your, your mental strengths, your mental skills, being able to focus for longer, being able to refocus more effectively. Uh, so how quickly do you get your focus back when you lose it? That's probably the most powerful skill we can have. And, and certainly, uh, how do you talk to yourself? in these situations. Uh, are you your best friend? You like a doubles partner you like to play with? Or you're like a doubles partner nobody wants to play with? You know, how would you characterize the way you're talking to yourself? What kind of goals do you set? Uh, is your goal to avoid losing or is it to play a certain way? Which typically we find that if your focus is on the process, how to play, uh, you perform much better under pressure. So there's a lot of different ways to go on this topic. Uh, but in terms of mindset, you know, just getting to it, you got to be aware of what's happening. Okay. So pay attention in those moments, reflect on it, learn from it, make sure you're, you're really developing your skill sets. So you're prepared for those moments to be able to focus and refocus. Well, talk to yourself in a good way, be really clear on your game and set goals that really encourage a process mindset. Cause that is under your control, that tends to alleviate your anxiety. Uh, and, and then we can get into the other things like breathing and routines, which I think we probably talked about a lot last year. Uh, but I think you got to have the awareness, you got to have the skill set, uh, and, and really kind of start with that, with, with your goals as well. Yeah, a lot of great stuff here. And I'm, I'm, I really enjoy the, the kind of the framework, the three steps that you've laid out here. Um, I guess in particular, I want to ask about like the ability to focus for longer. So, I mean, what do you have your um, players do who kind of have trouble with this? And it's really tough these days, you know, with um, it's fascinating when you 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 learn about like the effects of, um, you know, artificial dopamine, if that's the right term. But, you know, just from, you know, your phones and whatnot. And it's kind of like you lose focus very quickly, whereas um, especially in the past, we used to. Um, do tasks without all these electronics and then be able to focus for longer. So, I mean, what types of things do you have players do or even not do to help them focus for longer? Um, and then also, I guess, refocusing, obviously, as you've mentioned, is a uh, arguably more important skill, um, how to do that as well. Yeah, at this point in time of, the, of this video, people probably are already on to another window, right? Another tab and doing something else while they listen to What'd us. you say? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I get it. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a challenge for all of us, right? In this this world of this technological age, I think some of the things you got to do is you you have to put aside the things that distract you, this the phones, the other devices, and be able to lock into something, right? And and that, of course, is something that you choose. It could be breathing. It could be uh, some form of imagery or visualization that you're doing about your game or what you're going to do that day or past experiences. 
we could be on a mantra, right? Like it's that kind of thing. But taking time, quiet time to focus your mind is a good thing. We know we've heard of all the health benefits of it first and foremost, you know, the lowering your stress and your anxiety and what that does for your health. Uh, but you're, you're starting to build the muscles when you do that of being able to focus on something in particular, right? One thing. And that's really important because when you play tennis, you got to focus on one particular thing while a lot of other things are going on and that's the ball. And, and can you stay focused or are you, is your mind split? You know, you can be there and hitting balls, but your mind is on you know, what you have to do for work or what someone said to you in the last changeover or a ball that you missed in the second game that now you're down a break. And these, these things, ex- external and internal distractions, uh, take away from that focus that you need to perform. So under, under pressure especially because the distractions get louder as we, as we know. So to me, you know, a lot of it off the court, you can do mindfulness activities, uh, you can do breathing, uh, meditation, you know, and there's apps for these things that you can like headspace and calm and other ones that you can, you can practice this. You're building the muscle if you do this regularly to be able to focus. Now, a couple of the exercises I, I like most, uh, particularly we like to do things like, uh, box breathing, for example, or some people call it square breathing. If the listeners haven't heard of that, that's where you, you inhale through your nose, maybe to a count of four, and then you hold your breath to another count of four and you exhale, can be out through your nose or out through your mouth to a count of four. And then at the end of that exhale, you actually hold your breath again. So you're making the four parts of the breath with a breath hold at the top of the inhale and at the bottom of the exhale you're holding your breath as well. And then you cycle that back over. This box breath really is, is useful in terms of grabbing your focus and putting it on your breath. Uh, because you know, everybody likes to breathe, right? It's natural. And you know, when you're underwater and you're swimming, a lot of your thoughts on what am I get, get to breathe again? Right. And that's what happens in this box breathing. It really grabs your attention. You learn to manage your breath and be comfortable with that uncomfortable where you are holding your breath and hold your focus. Uh, that's one of my favorites. But what we also do mindfulness activities where, you know, for example, um, we just have you be aware of your thoughts and, and not try to hang on, hang on to any of your thoughts. All right. So your thoughts are coming in, just kind of let them go. Some players talk about swiping them away. Like they're on their phone, like, okay, that one's gone. That one's gone. When you find a thought is sticking around, and it's hanging around like, oh, I'm hungry, or man, I really kind of messed up that project, or I didn't perform well the other night. You have this thought hanging around, and you can't swipe it away. This is where then you need to do your mental work. Maybe take a couple of deep breaths. You know, I like to think about like going deep into outer space, the dark blank canvas of space, and the quiet, the silence, to try to let that thought go. And, and you can work on sort of, again, doing the mental push-ups of, I got a thought that's hanging around that I can't let go of, but I can use this exercise to let it go and then move on, which again is incredibly important in life and in tennis. You can think about it in tennis, if you double faulted at, uh, you know, 34 or 30 all, now it's 30, 40, 
can you let go? Well, the more you exercise these muscles off the court, you can then connect, for example, with your breath. Take a deep breath. Okay, I'm over it. I'm moving on. I'm good. And then focus on what you're going to do in the next point. Uh, if you go throughout your day and you're bouncing around from thing to thing to thing and never really focusing, hard to imagine in that moment that you're necessarily going to manage your focus very well. So, uh, so there's holding your focus, which is important. But then, like I just mentioned, there's refocusing, which is absolutely the most important because we're all going to be distracted. We all need to move on from things. You can practice both through some of those activities that I mentioned. Yeah, I also tried the box breathing um, while you were chatting. I'm still listening to you, of course. But yeah, that is just very, very calming and, um, you know, forced me to kind of pause and, and think for a bit. So I really love that one, actually. I feel like, you know, whenever you have a, a rough patch or, you know, you make an error, just do a box breath and um, try to think. Although I guess, yeah, would that be kind of hard sometimes? Like if you... You have a, a really long point and your heart's pounding to do that sort of breath. Maybe you just do like one deep breath or I don't know. What would you suggest? Yeah, typically after a point, we'll suggest you just do sort of some deep breathing. Maybe you're okay. inhaling to two and out to exhaling out to like four, extending the exhale because that relaxes you. If you find you can do the box breath, maybe it's more in a changeover. That can be very beneficial because it's going to reset your focus a little bit better. So when you think about these things, Mervin, there's there's certain skills that you use on the fly. That's kind of like my hockey term. Like you're you're on the fly. You're moving through. You got to go to the next point. So you're recovering. Maybe you can't do a box breath there, but you're going to do it in the changeover. But for now, I'm going to do some some deep breathing. Maybe again, like I said, a two inhale, four exhale. So you're working on letting go. Uh, and hopefully you can work through that. Uh, but yes, box breathing can be a challenge when you're you're trying to recover. Now, again, I will say that if you um, you practice it, you get better at it, it gets easier to do. So then maybe then you can do it in between points, a short one. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then in terms of the self-talk, um, I have a couple questions around that. But I guess, you know, firstly... Um, you know, I was going to ask you for maybe like, what are the like best phrases or something, but is that like very personal? Like, are there, you know, some phrases that will work better than others for people? Or are there, or are there just like universal ones that, you know, people can adopt and that would do well for them? It's actually quite personal, um, but there's, there are principles that you rely on okay. when you're talking about these self-talk phrases, these cues, there's a few things to look out for. Number one, it should be grounded in positive action. Uh, so instead of saying, don't miss, you say, hit with spin, right? What am I going to do? Because anytime you go into a point, you want to focus on what the action you're going to take. When you're trying to avoid something, uh, typically you your brain doesn't compute don't, it computes the action. So if, if I think don't miss, a lot of times meeting my brain, I'm going to see the myself missing. And now I've created this thought in my mind. But if I tell myself what I want to do, I can start to commit to an inaction, which is what we want when we finish our between points routine that I'm committed to some purpose, some action, some game plan. So, you know, you want to, you want to focus your self-talk on positive action. Uh, you want a lot of your self-talk to, to really 
I think, link into your strengths, okay? So, or the most important things. So, for example, you know, I might say like, hey, like, give your best effort. And for some people that might resonate with them and others, it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, but if you, if you say, hey, like, go out and be physical, physical, move, then they kind of are able to grab it. So the more specific you get, uh, the more specific to their strengths or their goals for the match, these cues then start to take on, I think, more meaning uh, with the player. Uh, but these are these are things that they're they're a collaboration to me. Uh, I'm not giving players cues. I'm not saying, hey, do it the way I would think because I find that very ineffective. Uh, I I've got to work with them to come up with the cues that will be effective for them. And again, they come up with stuff. I'm like, wow, that's that's really cool. Like I hadn't thought of that. And and there's some that are used a lot. Uh, you know, things like uh, you know, thinking of hitting with depth or spin or, you know, moving is a big one. Just moving, right? Moving your feet, being physical. Uh, that's an often used one. And, and so there, there are ones that are used a lot, but there's a lot of personal preference come in that comes into this. And the more you're, again, you're, you're really focusing on positive action, the more specific you are to your goals, your game plan, your strengths, the more meaning it takes. Uh, and you want to keep it short and concise too. Uh, because again, if you have a, a run-on sentence or a paragraph, how are you ever going to remember that during match play? So this is where this concept of chunking comes in, right? Like, So uh, the idea is that certain words unlock other ideas, right? And they found this in the work they when they studied the famous uh, coach John Wooden, right, at UCLA basketball, he would say word, certain words and it would mean a whole lot of things to his players because they had worked through it, right? They'd been taught what it means. And and so if you as the coach, you're saying, hey, be aggressive, what meaning does it have? That might mean a number of different things like, oh, that means I need to come to the net more. That might mean I need to accelerate. That might mean that I need to look for short balls, right? That might mean I need to uh, go out wider, right? I, it can mean a lot of different things to a player. Aggress with your feet, aggress with your strokes, aggress with your mind. So we got to define these things and the more that you can get to the simple words that have meaning to them. But you got you to work it out because I've experienced this too as a, as a mental coach you're talking about being aggressive and they're thinking that means take a lot of risk. That's not what we meant. We didn't mean hit for the lines, but that has to be clarified, right? But these chunk words, there are certain words that have a lot of meaning that mean a lot of other things. And, and if you can figure out what those are in your tennis, uh, and you usually do that with your coach because your coach has a philosophy or should have a philosophy and they're teaching certain concepts, certain cues, they can have a lot of meaning, you know, and, and so again, aggression is one that's often used. Uh, you know, being physical, what does that mean? That could mean, could mean bending, bending your knees, that could mean moving your feet, a certain type of footwork. It can mean a lot of different things, right? So, um, so these, these 
meaningful words can chunk a lot of ideas into them is, is what you're getting at with that. So, Yeah, Larry. And, and so would, I guess it seems like, you know, the, the self-talk, it's much better when it's like an actual like concrete action. Like I was wondering if, you know, more primal ones, emotional ones, like, uh, uh, let's win the match or let's destroy him or something like that. Like, is that too emotional? I mean, does that ever, is there ever a place for that? Like maybe if you have low energy and you just like, what? I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a good question. I think you, at first you got to know yourself, right? What works for you? Cause some, for some people they go there and then they just get way too high on the intensity energy scale and then they have anxiety. So you got to careful with that. But when you're talking about these self-talk cues and phrases, there, there are ones that are more information based, right? Like go to the net and they're, they're more of the sort of emotional encouragement type ones, right? Like, Hey, let's go. You got this, right? They're, they're both good. And in conjunction, they're probably very good, right? Like, Hey, you got this, get to the net. Uh, but you have to know your player, right? Because again, you know, we were at a match when I say we, as me and, and the team were at a match of a, of a player the other day and we were sitting on the sideline, it was a long three setter and, uh, you know, there was a lot of emotion and we were talking on the sideline as match was going on. Like, here's a time where we're not going to insert more emotion because the player is already emotional, right? Very intense and emotions are kind of going up and down. We got to present a lot of calm at this point. Like, Hey, you got this. And just kind of an easy clap. Versus, you know, again, like you said, maybe the, the energy is dropping. So, hey, come on, let's go. You got this. You got to get to the net or whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, you have to read the person. You got to read the situation. Uh, but in general, again, these self-talk cues, the more specific they are to a task or an action, that helps the purpose, the, excuse me, that helps the player focus in the present. But also... You can have the encouraging ones, the emotion-filled ones, the ones that push you. And what we haven't even talked about is sometimes you challenge yourself, right? Like, hey, you need to pick it up, right? And that's okay too, especially if you're not doing what you need to do. Uh, but it's the way that you do it. If you're doing with a command where say, pick it up now, let's go, uh, that's better that, uh, you know, come on, you always do this. You got to pick it up. What's wrong with you? Uh, I don't, you know, the the way you do it really matters. And this command voice, succinct, to the point, draws you back into action and being willing to act versus sort of more what, what sounds whiny or complaining. or So there's a lot of different facets to it. Uh, you have to think about what you're saying, but also how you're saying it. And then when you say it. And you have to consider all those pieces. But to keep it simple... You know, again, what I tell players, especially at first, come up with a couple goals that are really keys for you to play well in your match. Let those be your cues, right? So if one of your keys is to is to get to the net, remind yourself some phrase, some cue around that, like, hey, move forward, that focuses you on a goal that you think is going to make you successful. That's a good home base for your self-talk. And then you kind of start working from there. So, gotcha. And you know, with the third step, um, goals to set, it almost seems like kind of intertwined in a sense with like the self talk, I guess. Um, 
So I don't know. Is there? Would you differentiate that in any way? Is that like maybe something that you do like before the match? I guess probably you set set a yeah. goal and yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and it certainly is because the goals are essentially they are thoughts, right? They're representations in the mind of something we're trying to achieve. But we like to really center the focus on the process, like I mentioned before, things you have control over, how you're going to compete, how you're going to play. And these goals for a pro player, they might be set days in advance of the match, of a tournament, because they're preparing, right? Their whole life is predicated on preparing for tournaments. For someone who has a job other than tennis and they're coming to their match, and wanting to get themselves mentally ready, still not a bad idea to take down a piece of paper and write down a couple process goals. You know, I really want to hit out on my second serve with more spin. Okay. Uh, get that in your mind. That can help you sort of alleviate, you know, worries and doubts because you're putting things more under your control. But really a lot of that stuff, you know, you know, the 30 minutes, the hour before you play, just lock into this is how, what I want, what I want to do. This is important to me. Uh, if I do these things, win or lose, I'm going to feel good about myself. Uh, it's not based on just the outcome. But the, the the goals drive the mindset, right? And that that's really kind of the lens at which we see our match. So if I go into the match, like I need to win, we need to win this, uh, we move on to the next round. Okay, that's the lens I'm carrying in. What happens when you get down a break early in the first set? Are you starting to pull the chute and, and start to make excuses? Are you really getting down on yourself or your teammates? How are you going to respond when it's all about that zero-sum game of win-lose versus, hey, you know, if I if I put the emphasis on how tough I am and how I'm, I'm focused every point and always running and competing, I can still do that in my mind, right? I can still do that. So that's driving the focus. That's driving the self-talk as I play that these goals are that, hey, that's achievable. If I'm down 1-5, I need to win. doesn't feel that achievable anymore. And so then these other more ineffective responses have a good opportunity to come in. So the goals really drive the mindset, as do your expectations as well. And those things are different. Goals are things that you're striving for that uh, you may or may not reach, and that's fine. Your expectations are things that should happen, right? Things that you should do, like treating your doubles partner with respect. Okay, I'm going to make sure I do that. That's under my control, okay? Uh, getting, executing my forehand to their backhand as much as I can, that's only partially under my control. That's a good goal. That can help me win this match. I'm going to focus on that. But I got to understand, I'm not going to be perfect with that either. Expectations, goals, get them clear in your mind. That helps you really kind of clarify and put the right lens around your match where you can see it in realistic ways, right? In, in effective ways, you know. But if we carry into the match, like, oh, hey, you know, you can't miss against this guy. You cannot miss. What happens after your third miss? Oh, I'm going to lose. I'm not playing well. I'm missing. What's wrong with me? Versus like, hey, You've got to really make sure you're putting the ball in play with depth against this guy. So when you miss, it's like, hey, put the ball in play with depth versus you can't miss. Well, you just did. What are you gonna? How are you gonna work that out under pressure? So 
Yeah, Larry, great stuff. And so I guess, you know, a lot of players, you know, uh, probably everybody, you've got the framework, let's say the awareness and uh, mental skill said you've been working on that and, and you, you know, you've got a good goal that's, you know, um, that you've said before the match, but then, you know, it comes to crunch time and all of a sudden, you, you know, it's like six all, you know, three, four in the tie break. And then, you know, invariably, like you just, you start you're thinking about the result and you, you feel nervous, you feel tight. Um, I mean, what is the, the routine there? I mean, do we go back to kind of the, you know, the, the focus sort of branch of it where, you know, or the refocusing rather, where we like do the breathing, like what, what, you know, it's, it's, it's almost inevitable. And I, you hear even like the pros still feel this. So what do you, what do you do in these situations? Yeah. Think about what they do in basketball, right? A free throw shooter in a big situation is going to use the routine that he or she would use throughout the game, right? They're not going to do anything special super extra like oh this is important now so i need to you know dribble dribble between my legs three times and spin it and then say something and then shoot uh because you're going to be out of rhythm right and a lot of tennis is actually keeping rhythm feeling a sense of rhythm and moving forward and so whatever routine you're you're doing you want to have a home base routine we call them our green light routine that's basically green light when you're driving means keep going and and that's what we want to have in place throughout our matches because then it, it creates a rhythm, it creates a comfort in getting ready. It, it also trains the brain to be ready to play, right? Because there's a certain series of things that are happening. The brain's like, okay, I know that I'm about to play a point here. I need to be ready. I need to be alert, focused externally. Uh, if we don't have a routine, a bunch of random stuff happens. Our brain can be distracted and all over the place. So whatever routine you're using, you should use it throughout the match. That's the first point. And you should use it in practice so that you get comfortable with it. Because you don't want these pressure moments to feel so big and so different that they do lock you up, right? Why wouldn't they if this is, you know, so important? This is the point of the match. Well, it's another point in the match. Yeah, it feels important, but I got here because I did all these other points. So so you got to be able to put it in its place by following your routines. It brings a sense of comfort. Now, the routines, I mean, people will do different things, but there is a, a flow to this that is sort of, you know, there's an immediate response after the last point is played, positive, negative, or neutral. Typically, pros are neutral, especially under pressure. They're just going to even keel, take their breaths, move through the routines, walk to the back, take a little bit of time. Maybe they're going to towel off. This is their process of recovering. They're, they're taking deep breaths, which allows them to clear their mind so then they can refocus on what's my plan for the next point. And that's the thing I think people don't maybe don't realize with pros is they're very purposeful about each point. There's a plan. Now, the plan doesn't always work out because tennis is a game of chaos, to be honest. There's so many things that can happen, but they have a plan. And then they go to enact that. And once you make that commitment to that plan, that tends to quiet a lot of things down. Like, yeah, whatever's going on around me, I know I'm going to hit this serve wide and I'm going to go open court. I can do that. I can do that. I practice that every, every time I go into court, I practice. I can do this or I can hit this target with my serve. Great. That gives you a sense of commitment. That helps things quiet down, helps you focus. And then you go through the final rituals that we all see, right? 
bouncing around, bouncing the ball three times every time, taking a breath, going, you know, having that rhythm with your serve. Um, going through this sort of regular routine allows your brain to lock in, to let go of the distractions and noise, the worries, the doubts. And if you find that that regular green light routine isn't working for you, you're still worried, you're still thinking about the 30-15 point that you missed, then you take a little bit extra time to do a little bit more work, right? Maybe you do a box breath there if you can, like we talked about earlier, right? Maybe you do a little bit more specific visualization between points. I'm going to imagine myself really hitting that forehand well out to the back and I can see it, I can feel it, boom, I got this. So I need to do a little bit more visualization here to lock that in. Maybe I'm doing shadow swings. You see a lot of pros will do that and they're focusing on the feel of hitting a good ball. You do a little bit more, but you circle right back into your routine, right? So you go back to your rituals, you bounce the ball, you're bouncing your toes, you do whatever you normally do to get yourself ready. So that's what we call our yellow light routine. Driving, obviously, yellow light means slow down. Doesn't mean speed up, everyone. It means slow down. You got to make a decision to make. Are you going to go through this intersection? Are you not? In tennis, yellow light means, hey, there's something up. Not quite where I want my focus to be, so I'm going to get it to where I want it to be. I'm going to get back into my green light. It doesn't mean panic. We were just in Sarasota this week, and that was one of the great reminders at the Sarasota Open is that the players that are usually successful are the ones that do not panic when things aren't going their way. They just even keel. They go about their business. They know that there's going to be these moments, but they are going to keep doing what they do, and and they're going to stay with it. But those routines also, Mervin, they allow you that work that you do in practice, for example. So if you're doing breathing, that gives you a place to insert it in the match, right? So now I know where to breathe. I'm going to take a deep breath after the point ends. I'm going to take a deep breath before I start the points. Let's go, right? So you you bring the breathing you're exercising into the match, or maybe it's a yellow light. You want to do more box breathing. Well, I practice that, so I know how to do that, and, and I know when I do box breathing, I tend to focus well. That's a good feeling under pressure. Um, so your routines also give you a structure a home for putting things into the match. Otherwise, imagine one of your mind is like without structure. It's all over the place. This allows the worries, the doubts, the fears, the distractions to take root, to take over. Uh, for no other reason than you just haven't organized your mind. That's all. And if you can do that and you can practice it, you can work through these moments. Um, again, that structure might look slightly different depending on the person, but that flow of things, those four R's, how are you responding to the last point? How are you recovering? How are you refocusing and how are you getting yourself ready with your rituals? That's there for everybody. That's there. That was there in the 16 second cure that Jim Lehrer came up with. That's embedded in that flow, right? That there are stages that we go through between points. You master that, you can master the moment. Uh, because you're training your brain to be able to play the point, refocus, and walk back in. Yeah, it's pretty exciting that, you know, I mean, you have a solution right here, you know, that Larry mentioned is just really having that, you know, green light routine. And then, you know, if times are a bit tougher, I guess, so to speak, then you add a couple more things, you know, yellow lights routine. So I guess for those, and obviously we've mentioned some, but um, for those who maybe are really new to having any sort of routine, 
in between points. Um, we mentioned the breath, but what's maybe just a very simple one that you would recommend that beginners start out with? Yeah, that's a great question. How do you get started? You know, because you don't start with uh, a prose routine because you're just, you're not going to remember it. You're not going to have the discipline to do it. You start simple. You choose one or two things, right? That's how we want to do these things. Now, maybe you have something you always do between points now. Maybe you always, let's say, take a couple bounces before you go to serve and return. Okay, that's great that you have that. That's getting your feet ready to go. That's reminding yourself to move. That's a that's a good behavioral piece in the routine. But if you can connect something to that, right? So I'm going to do my bounces, but right before that, I'm going to remind myself of my cue. Oh, hey, heavy to her backhand. Boom, 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 boom. I do my bounces. That gets me ready to play. So now I've, we call this coupling, right? So a habit that's already in place, you can attach another behavior to it and it's more likely that you'll turn that behavior into a habit as well. So we want to use this concept of coupling to add to our routines. But you start out simple. One or two things. That's why I like to teach uh, Breathe and Believe, Mervin. I like to start out with, hey, just take a breath. Something simple. One of those cues or something your coach would tell you. And that's what we teach at the youngest ages, right? Because you don't start out with these elaborate between-point routines because they're just not going to do them. They're going to remember them let alone want to do them. So you start simple, one or two things. Uh, again, people are different. I like to start with, take a breath, say one thing right now that's going to help you get to work. A lot of people start with the ritualistic end of it, right? Like, okay, I'm going to sway back and forth before I return and I get into my stance. That's great. That's a good start. Have your ritualistic things you do that give you rhythm going into the point on your return and your serve. You can start there. You can start anywhere. But what I will say is that getting ready to play can break down also anywhere in that process. So if you have 25 seconds to get ready to play, it could be that the first second is costing you the next point. So if you're following what I'm saying is that if the point ends and I'm like, oh my God, I can't make a serve. <laughs> now what do you do to get yourself ready? And maybe you have some routines, but are you able to manage that reaction, right? So eventually you do need to get to a point where good body language, good breathing to recover, walk behind a baseline, however you want to do that, pick a plan, can be very simple, remind yourself who cue, can be more complex, like what a pro would have, like a serve plus one or plus two, and then go through your final rituals. You want to eventually get yourself to that because that's the most effective way, one of the most effective ways to get yourself ready to play. But you start by doing one one thing and then you scaffold upon that. So again, if you're looking for the cookie cutter approach, like tell, Larry, just tell me what to do already. Stop babbling. I would say, hey, Start out just by really having good body language as the point ends and just walking away from the point. Start there. Go to your strengths. And then you can build upon that. Because if you're not reacting to the last point, you probably have a good chance that you can get yourself ready to play for the next point. So, um, Larry, you know, 
obviously, even if we, you know, do all these things, um, try our best, you know, there could be patches where we get unlucky or we just playing against juggernauts, however it is. And then, you know, we sustain, you know, a few losses in a row or many losses. So in that, you know, in that vein, I want to ask you about, you know, resilience, bouncing back, like what sorts of things do you do, um, to, to help yourself so that you don't feel like, oh, I keep, you know, losing every time or losing close matches. Um, I mean, is it like similar practices off court or like, how would you handle these situations? Yeah. Well, you know, resilience is a lot of what we've already talked about, right? Because one, the first thing about resilience is that you have to have adversity to be resilient, right? And we've talked a lot about patches where you're not playing well, or maybe you've lost, right? And how you're going to deal with your loss. So first things first is there has to be adversity and you want to have particular perspectives about adversity, you know, that, Hey, we bounce back when something doesn't go our way. I remember playing a tournament with my friend, uh, when we lived in, uh, in Michigan and that for the whole tournament, that was our, our phrase. We're bouncing back. We weren't going to let any error that we made in this doubles tournament keep us down. And we ended up playing really well. I think we made the final of that tournament. Uh, we were going to keep bouncing back. And, and so there's gotta be a perspective, right? About adversity, like, okay, first it exists. Secondly, that's not that big of a problem because it exists for everybody, right? Everybody has adversity in their lives and in their tennis. So what are we getting so worked up about for, right? Like it's not that big a deal, to be honest, we can deal with this. And then, like I said earlier, secondly, if you have the skill sets like we've worked through some of those today with the self-talk and the breathing, if you're practicing these things and then you engage with them in those moments, you can then quiet the noise, quiet all the doubts, the fears, the worries. That's the thing about resilience. People who are resilient, they aren't fearless. They have fears, they have doubts, but they manage them well. They put them in their place like, oh, okay, you know, I accept that I can have this, but I that's not real to me. Like I, I can serve. There's nothing wrong with my serve. I'm good. Right. They can go through that process and then go play. The person who isn't being resilient, they're fragile. What happens in many cases is that they get to that point where they double fault a couple of times and they hang on to that thought of, I can't serve. I'm going to double fault again. I'm going to lose. And they can't get over the hump on that because they believe in it. But your mind's just telling you something that honestly isn't isn't real. But the more that you have these skills where you can discipline your mind, where you can work through these things, you then can come out the other side of this in a better place. Uh, so you really have to, I think, almost embrace adversity. Rafa does this well, right? He talks about the fight and the back and forth. Almost embrace it. Not everybody's going to be there. I don't expect people listening or watching this tomorrow to be, oh, yeah, I love it when I double fault. That's not what I'm talking about. But embrace the reality that tennis is messy. It's up and down. That's normal. When you have a good competitive match, sometimes it feels like you're not doing well because your opponent's good. This is normal. Accepting, having this good perspective on adversity and resilience, using your skills and your in. Bring them into your between points routines, right? Bring them in like we've talked about. And then, you know, when, when it comes to things like, um, losing or maybe you do have people there watching you, you have your teammates using your support sources. You know, when you're out there, 
you got a doubles partner, it's often easier because you can support one another. What if you, you're playing singles? Well, you can look to your teammate on the other court, right? Be like, encourage them and maybe they'll encourage you back, right? So you can do stuff like that to try to get some good self-talk and some good talk going. Um, so you really have these three pillars when it comes to resilience. And that is, you got to have a good perspective on adversity because it's going to happen. So it is what it is and we're going to deal with it. Secondly, you got to have the skill sets to deal with it. And third, uh, you really got to have the support in place that allows you to be resilient. Now this gets, we talk about that third piece a lot, Mervin, when we start talking about juniors and parents and coaches and whatnot, but, uh, but nonetheless, we all don't want to kind of worry alone. So if you are struggling, you're nervous, you're worried about how you're going to perform, talk to a friend, talk to your coach. If you have a coach, get it out, share it. That vulnerability makes you stronger because you can get it out. You can let it go. Uh, then you can start to refocus on what you will do in the match, what you have control over. Um, so to me, you know, the resilience, we use a lot of the same skills that we've been talking about throughout this, this uh, webinar, but um, it really is all cast in this context of something hasn't gone my way. How am I going to deal with that? And, and the more that you embrace that that's just how the world is and you're good with it, and you can come back from it, and you have before, and you will again, uh, and you know how to do it, really good, right? That That's going to help you get through those moments. Uh, and then you just feed those kind of ideas into your routines, into your between points, into your changeover routines. You know, you're in the changeover. You're thinking back to times that you fought your way back when you were down, right? I'm sure a lot of people listening to this right now have had times where they lost or excuse me, they were losing and they come back and won. And then for the next couple of weeks, they're like, I can't lose anyway. I can always find a way. You have that confidence now that you can find a way to come back. That's in everybody. It's there. Everybody can be resilient, but you're not going to win every time. Just not going to happen. It's really about the way you do things. Are you being competitive? Are you focused? Uh, are you giving your best effort? You do that you give yourself the best chance and then we see where it goes. Yeah, I love that. And so I imagine that, you know, a lot of the principles you just talked about apply to this question, but you know, you obviously have players who are perfectionists, you know, maybe they just like in their everyday life as well. Like they, you know, think that they rarely make any mistakes or whatnot, or they never want to make one. So, I mean, how do you um, shift the mindset for these sorts of players in, in tennis, at least um, to help them? Yeah, this is a challenging one because these are really kind of set strongly from a young age many times, or it's a yeah. part of their personality. And and so you have to understand for the perfectionist, this person who everything's got to just be right or it's bad, it's failure. You know, where is where is that coming from? Why are you why are you putting such rigid standards on yourself? Because it may be that they believe that these high standards, that's the only thing that matters. Like if you drop below that, then you're bad. You're awful. You're a bad person. You're a bad tennis player. There's people who believe that and that takes a lot of toll on them personally. So, you know, being able to, to separate your performances from your own self-worth is very important. 
uh, who you are as a person. You know, just because you lost the match that you're winning doesn't make you a bad person. Certainly doesn't make you a bad tennis player because it happens every day on the tour. Uh, so, you know, the best it happens to as well. So, um, but that's hard for perfectionists because again, they have these rigid standards of this is the way it should be. And if it's not this, it's bad. And that has its effects, right? Because now as I'm playing, if I'm not meeting the standard, I tend to get negative pretty quickly. I'll tend to get emotional pretty quickly. I might, as I say, pull the shoot quickly, right? Like I'm out of here. I'm making excuses pretty quickly. Like, oh, the balls are terrible. These courts are bad because it hurts so much to be losing and not playing well. It really hurts that badly. And you have to change the way you look at success and failure. You need to be more flexible. You got to understand that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And the reality is that tennis is a game of errors. That's why they have these two stats, unforced errors and forced errors. We've got a lot of things go around on errors, right? And oftentimes, like we're in the clay court part of the pro season now, um, you're going to make more errors than you hit winners and you still win the match. You know, and then the other thing you got to wrestle your mind with is that, uh, you know, the pros, they might win 53, 54% of their points and they're winning by a break or two. They're only winning a couple more points than their opponent. It's not like they're winning 24 points and their opponent's winning two, right? So I think we get these ideas in our mind that there's a way that it should be, and we can't get outside of that. The reality is there is no should be. There just is. This is the way that it is. Today, I'm going to have to work a little harder. Maybe I'm not seeing the ball as well. Maybe my opponent has a really good strategy against me. Maybe the wind is knocking my ball down. Right? I'm not able to get it through the court as well. There's a million different things that can go on a tennis match that make it imperfect. And you got as a perfectionist, you gotta come to terms with that. It's okay. Like you miss that the concept of the good miss. I'm sure you you've heard of that, right? Like that was a good miss. Like you went for it. It was the right decision. Well done. Like, that's awful. I missed it. You can't miss that. Why not? I've seen Federer miss. Like, if he misses, you can surely miss. Um, so you really have to, as a coach, as a parent, uh, have a lot of patience, first of all, but also help them start to challenge and counter some of these thoughts that are irrational, that I should always make that ball. You might make that ball 95% of the time, but that was one of those 5% and it's okay. It happens. You know, that builds in the resilience if you can start to think that way. So perfectionists, if they're a strong perfectionist, a lot of times they're not very resilient because if I'm making mistakes, if I'm losing, that's bad. It's not what it should be. And that, that undermines that resilient response we're looking for. So we really have to change the way we're looking at things. Um, now, I like to do this through through games too, right? So like if you... Uh, if you're playing games in practice where you reward them, not for playing perfectly, but for the way they go about things. So uh, on our podcast, uh, Compete Like a Champion, we're, we're about to um, put out there this, this skill drill on the bounce back game where if you get broken, now the alternative scoring starts. So you're playing games, you're playing sets. When you get broken... 
you have the opportunity to get two points on the next point. So if you can win the next point, you get two points. But you're going to have to refocus to do that, right? You're going to have to bounce back. And if you win the next game, you can then get the next point on your serve to 15 love without having to do anything. So we're trying to reward the process of coming back. Now, in that case, we reward it through an outcome. Um, we have a, a alternate version of that where, okay, uh, we're going to reward you for the way you do things. So let's say you get broken. You come back on the next point. You're hustling and you're you're being physical. You're playing with spin and depth. And you're doing everything your coach is teaching you to do. Boom, I'm going to give you that point. Or I'm going to give you a mulligan because, you know what, you get to play that one because you did the right thing. Um, again, you don't do this all the time because the reality is you have to play with real scoring and deal with it. But when you have players who are struggling with perfectionism, you want to reward a different response in practice at times. Rewarding them for the way they do things versus the outcome because that just, just totally the outcome reinforces that perfectionistic mindset a lot of times where, uh, you know what, it's an end game. Either I won the point or I lost the point. I win the point, I'm good. I lost the point, I'm bad. No, let's change the focus on this. Let's put it on the way you're doing things. Love that, Larry. Um, covered a lot of awesome information today. Um, just want to ask, you know, if uh, is there anywhere that you know you might want the audience to to follow you or or USA or you know any any <laughs> links or or profiles you want to shout out? For sure. Uh, well, we have. I mentioned our compete like a champion podcast you, with Coach Johnny Parks. You can find that on really any place so that you can subscribe to podcasts. So we're out there, as you know, Mervin. Um, you know, the other place to look uh, is on our USTA uh, player development website. You can also, you know, I'm on Twitter at Larry Lauer. Uh, you know, I tend to, I don't do a lot of talking on Twitter. I tend to maybe retweet things that I think are useful to people that they might want to read. But uh, I would say that Compete Like a Champion is a, is a good podcast to, to subscribe to you get a lot of these ideas uh and then for for those uh watching who are parents of tennis players we're doing a whole series of uh webinars around tournaments and competition and how you can make these great experiences for for children and, and for young players so you can find that on our usta website as well uh you know so these tournament competition webinars uh and, and if you can't find that then you can tweet me and say, hey, where does that exist, Larry? And I'll, I'll forward it your way. But um, yeah, so we're, we're trying to put a lot of good information out there. Uh, the the USTA Skills and Drills handbook, Mental Skills and Drills handbook is out there. You can get it on Amazon, Coach's Choice. So if you want, you know, that, that, that actually is now 13 years old, believe it or not, which really makes me feel old today. But, um, you know, so that I don't know if, when the revision of that one's coming. I, I need some help, but... Uh, but we have that out there as well. There's a lot of good stuff in there still. Uh, so there's a lot of resources. Um, to, me, to me, though, the key is choosing a plan and then just training it, planning it. That's the key to me, like building those reps uh, for whatever you decide to do uh, because those are the things that will come out under pressure. The things that are trained, the things that are habits come out under pressure. And if you're training the wrong habits, guess what? those come out under pressure too. So if you're training, getting upset at yourself, making excuses, 
going away, guess what's going to happen in your matches? Same thing, right? Now, it's not a one-for-one, Mervin. It's not like I get upset at work and therefore I get upset in tennis. But those things definitely, there's a correlation because it's all about you as a human being. How are you dealing with the pressure? How are you dealing with the adversity in the moment, right? And uh, if you look forward to it and you want it because you know good things can happen, then you then you got a shot, I think, to to start to be the kind of player you want to be under pressure. Awesome, Larry. Uh, what a great <laughs> close. Um, really appreciate that latter wise word. So I definitely highly encourage everybody to check out uh, the Compete Like a Champion podcast um, with Larry and Johnny. Um, I've tuned in. It's it's fantastic stuff. Thank you. And um, yeah, of course. Yeah, and USA Player Development. And uh, you can tweet Larry if you uh, enjoyed uh, this presentation as well. Send me a tweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So um, yeah, yeah. It's great stuff. And also, yeah, we'll have all the links um, that Larry mentioned, including the USA Mental Skills and Drills Handbook. Um, and the, the webinars for parents as well, you know, we'll find that and, and link that below too. So, um, Dr. Lauer, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast, really, or sorry, the summit. I'm so used to saying podcast and the <laughs> summit and, uh, and, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, uh, I, I told Larry, I said, oh yeah, you know, maybe half an hour and we're up to like an hour, but <laughs> this is yeah. what happens when you and I get going. It always goes, but we have fun right. with it. So it's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Have fun and, and, you know, highly, um, um, just not entertaining. This this really useful stuff, but also entertaining as well. But, um, yeah, I can't wait to really put this in practice. You know, I do put some of it into practice already, but keeping, you know, that framework in mind of the awareness and developing mental strength and then, um, you know, the, the goals as well. And then, you know, if you have that consistent, um, you know, green light routine and add the yellow light routine um if you need to then you're going to be in great shape and and really improve in these uh critical moments so uh thanks uh thanks a lot uh larry for coming on and i can't wait to speak with you again next time appreciate it really enjoyed it thank you thanks all right i really hope that you enjoyed my interview with dr larry lauer thank you to dr lauer for being so gracious uh with his time and Uh, If you did enjoy this episode and got value from it, then I would highly appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast, which you can do at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. And that would be super helpful just to give the show more visibility to others. Um, You know, the more reviews that we get, the higher that the Apple Podcasts uh, wizardry and magic, you know, the algorithm uh, pushes the show up higher up the charts. So definitely would help a lot with that. Thank you in advance if you haven't yet. And also want to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by Vera Wang. And Vera said, success isn't about the end result. It's about what you learn along the way. Um, certainly a great philosophy to uh, behold and just to focus more on the process not, uh, rather than the results as my college coach taught me after I lost a match in which I was winning huge, <laughs> hugely, some may say bigly. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a great one. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabon, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.